rock. We've got little kids all over the place, and we may even be out of coffee. Thank you, Jesus. Sounds like the fa- I just said it's like the family room. We're always out of coffee in our house. It is good to see everybody today. If you're new, if you're visiting, if you've not been here with us before, we welcome you today for the time that you're here with us, whether you're here for the rest of your life or whether you never join us to worship again for this period of time, we welcome you as family to participate in this time of worship together. Uh, what a great time of singing. That was awesome. That was a lot of fun singing. Our, our worship, we don't, our goal isn't to elevate a band or a person or a song or a singer. Our goal is to elevate Jesus, to lift his name higher and louder than all of the noise and all of the difficulties and all of even the good things in our lives. We exalt the name of Jesus above all of that. So thank you for joining us this morning in this time of worship. Thank you to Martin. He's not with us this morning, but thank you for sharing the word last week, leading us and dedicating two of our little ones. Thank you to each of you for the prophetic words of encouragement and the spoken blessings over our little guy. And on behalf of Casey and Chris, I'm confident that they appreciated everyone's input as well. There's nothing mystical or magical about child dedication, it's a, but it is an opportunity for us as a body, for us as parents, to dedicate their lives, to commit to being whatever we can be to help them grow into being disciples. And that matters. That's important. The words that we speak over our children matter. The Bible tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat of its fruit. The words that we sow into the lives of our children over their lives, they matter. This isn't rocket science. Even secular society is aware of this. Just YouTube motivational speakers, and you'll see it. Secular society understands the power of words. How much more should we in the body of Christ who acknowledge that we were created in the image of God, who when he created, how did he do it? He spoke. This is not a a long way around that block. It's a pretty simple thing. So I appreciate you for the words that you spoke into Melinda and I, into our family, Chris and Casey, and the lives of our children. Here at The Rock, we don't always do seasonal messages. And I feel like every time a season comes around, I'm making this exception. So maybe we kind of do do some seasonal messages. But at Christmas time, we don't always have specific Christmas messages. And Easter, the same, etc. Every Sunday is a Christmas and an Easter message, talking about the advent of the Messiah. But there are times that I believe it's an opportunity during a specific season to pause We've got some, we got some overarching themes this year that we're looking at in the, at the rock. We're looking, we're growing in Jesus consciousness. We're learning to see uh, foretelling of the Messiah in the Old Testament, and we're learning to see Jesus in the New Testament. We're learning that when we read Scripture to not just look for us, but to look for the Messiah. That's the overarching thing. This morning, I don't want to deviate from that, but I want to kind of pause in that and Just go over the story. This is a little uncommon, and I've shared with a few of you. I'm just going to be transparent this morning because I don't do well if I'm not. Um, In our day and age, in 2022, 2021, 2020, in our lifetime, especially over the last decade, uh, a person elevates a teacher, a preacher, a speaker in their lives 
based on their ability to take something, a word, a passage, a chapter of Scripture, and shrink it down to 20, 30, 40, maybe 50, if you get real nuts, 60 minutes, give me a real solid takeaway for a few days. I'll try on Monday. I'll have given up by Wednesday, but I'll remember the next week, oh yeah, that was a great point to have these takeaways. And we feel, I can just, I'll testify for everybody that's ever stood up here and spoke, there is a tremendous pressure to deliver the takeaways. If you've never been up here, You'll get the opportunity at some point in your life to feel the pressure. I gotta have the right takeaway. And it would be best if the three takeaways all started with the same letter. It's not actually in scripture, but it is, you know, it's like that would, it makes it, it matters more if they all P words or all B words. It's like, which I'm not down on that. I'm just, I think that we've gotten a little bit, we tend to have gotten a little bit away from letting the Holy Spirit do his work. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth. My job isn't to understand things for you guys. My job is just to proclaim them. And the Holy Spirit in you will help you in understanding things. And it will be understood differently for each of you. See, because if I, if I come up here with a word and I've got it ready to explain and ready to understand for you, I have taken the application that the Holy Spirit gave me and I've decided that that is the best, the greatest, the overarching expectation to get or application to get from that scripture. And it may be different than the one the Holy Spirit is applying, the way the Holy Spirit is applying that word to you. So this morning we're gonna kind of shift. This may be a little different for some of you. Um, we're going to talk about the story and we're going to talk about perspective. In fact, the title of this morning's message, Jody, if you have a pen, the title of this morning's message is Thursday. That's the whole title. It's just Thursday. And I want to look at, I want to take a deep dive back into the day before the Lord Jesus was crucified. We're coming up on Easter, which is when we celebrate the death of the burial, and the resurrection of the Christ. We've talked a little bit about this in bits and pieces, but Christ was not Jesus' last name. He was the Messiah, the one waited for from all of time and eternity past to come deliver us from our sin. He was the, he is the Messiah. And I just want us to take a pause. We're going to read a few larger chunks of scripture. We're going to start with John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. If you got your Bibles, you want to follow along, it will be on the screen in front of you if you want to follow along that way. When Jesus, this is just a little backstory on this passage of scripture. This is on Thursday night. This is a discussion that Jesus, this is, this is a telling of the story of Thursday night before Jesus was crucified, before he was betrayed. We pick up in John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went away with his disciples across the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden which he entered with his disciples. Verse 2, now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having obtained the Roman cohort, the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. 
Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, came out into the open and said unto them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus, the Nazarene. He said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. Now then, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He then asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are seeking me, let these men go their way. This took place so that the word which he spoke would be fulfilled. Of those whom you have given me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, since he had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave, cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Verse 11, so Jesus said to Peter, put the sword in the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, am I not to drink it? Now we're going to skip down to verse 25 of the same chapter. John 18, we're going to read 25 through 27. Now Simon Peter was still, stand, was still standing and warming himself. So they said unto him, You are not one of his disciples as well, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Of the disciples, one of the disciples of the, one of the slaves of the high priest who was related to the one whose ear Peter cut off said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for Scripture, for preserving it for us, for using finite men to pen the gospel. Thank you for the things that we see revealed in Scripture. Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are here with us. Lord, you promised that wherever two or three are gathered, there you would be in our midst, and we know you are here. You're in the words that we speak, the looks that we share, the handshakes, the songs that we sing. Lord, we know that you are here in our midst. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue. You promised to guide us into all truth. I just pray that you would continue, that we would yield to you to guide us into all truth today. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of eternity past was looking forward to this time. And all future generations would look back upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. The magnitude of these few days is lost on us today, largely. Not entirely, but largely it's lost on us. This is not a story. This is the story This isn't one of the things that was taking place then. This is the thing that was taking place then. This isn't one of the points of the entire Old Testament. This is the point. This is what everything pointed to. Everything was building up to this moment, these three days. The magnitude of this. And everything since then is looking back at this. We're living in light of what Jesus did. Yes, anticipating what is to come, but only anticipating what is to come because of what's been done. How many of you know that if Jesus hadn't died, hadn't been buried, and hadn't been raised again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, we won't be looking forward to what's coming. But he was, and he is seated at the right hand, so we can. You see how everything is Everything in human history hinges on these three days. Like, we think there's, we celebrate the 4th of July in this country. We celebrate Independence Day, right? We celebrate 
all kinds of festivals throughout human history. This is the thing. The 4th of July is irrelevant in light of eternity. It's a great thing, and I love our country. I'm thankful for our country. But in light of eternity, a few hundred years of some country on some continent existing or not existing, it's irrelevant. This is the most relevant message that has ever been spoken, most relevant event that has ever taken place. We're going to look at a few things here. Jesus institutes a new covenant this night. Before what we read, we see the, uh, Jesus instituting a new covenant. And I love, the, I love, absolutely love the layers of the word of God, okay? So Jesus instituted in, um, I should turn my Bible to the right spot before I start talking about things that I want to reference. So Jesus, uh, earlier this night, he washed the disciples' feet. John chapter 13, we see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And then he serves them what's known as the Lord's Supper. He institutes what we know as communion, which is a drawing out. Okay, does everybody know what Moses means? Moses means drawn out. I love the layers of this. I, I get pretty excited. A few of you are aware of how excited I get. But understand, the law came through Moses. The Passover, the Passover feast was instituted under Moses. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus comes along and he draws out of Moses. Moses was the drawn out one. And Jesus is like, watch this. I'll draw out of the Mosaic covenant. I'll draw out of the Passover and I'll institute a new covenant. He instituted the new covenant on the anniversary of the Passover. This is not a small thing. The magnitude of this for a Jew at that particular point in time in human history is profound. Drawn out of the Mosaic covenant regarding the Passover feast comes a new covenant comprised of the very body of the eternal Lamb of God and written in his blood. You see, there was bread in the Passover and there was blood in the Passover. They were types, they were shadows. And then out of that covenant that was given, that, that, that uh, feast, that observance that was given through Moses, the drawn out one, Jesus comes along and draws out of that a new covenant, a better covenant, founded on better promises. We as humans, we see the world and we see the Lord through the lens of our experiences and history. This is, is everyone fairly familiar with that? I'm going to grab a bottle of water. Just give me a second. My voice is uh, a little shaky. Hopefully we have water. Thank you, Jesus, for living water. We tend to see the Lord, we read scripture through the lens of our history and our experiences. And this is not like unique to us. This isn't something where it's like, well, we do this, but the disciples probably didn't do that. It's a human thing. And even though the disciples weren't Pharisees and they weren't Sadducees, they had a very solid working understanding of the events of the Passover feast. In Exodus chapter 12, we see the Passover instituted. Is everybody, is everybody fairly familiar with what the Passover was? Just by a show of hands, are you pretty comfortable? I'm not going to ask a bunch of questions, but everybody's 
You've got a working understanding of what the Passover was, so we're not going to go through it all, but there's a couple of things I want to look at in, in particular. Chapter 12, verse 2, we see, well, we'll start in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 12 of Exodus, we see, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. They're still in the land of Egypt. They're a ways of the way, nearly complete with the plagues. And the, this is the institution of the Passover. This is where, this is the week that we find Jesus instituting the new covenant. Same week. I want to look at something. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, verse two, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This is a little thing you might think, I don't know if that's super relevant. It's wildly relevant. The beginning. This is where we're starting from. Stick a pin on this day. This is gonna be the beginning. Now, 1,500 years later, on this same day, you'll see something way cooler than what you're about to see now. Way bigger. This is a small form. You guys are familiar with the tabernacle. We've talked a little bit about the tabernacle in the Old Covenant. The tabernacle, easy for me to say, the tabernacle under the Old Covenant was, what was it? It was images of what was already in place in heaven. It wasn't, didn't just exist on earth. It was just like a picture of what existed on earth, right? This is what the word of God explains this to us. That was a, it was a picture, it was a type. So this Old Testament time, this Exodus 12, was just a picture of what was coming. This was a physical example of a spiritual truth that was coming 1,500 years later. You see, the, the Passover was instituted this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Exodus 13, we see the Feast of Unleavened Bread instituted. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so the children of Israel were about to be released from, Israel, from Egypt. They were gonna have to leave in a hurry. They were instructed to gather gold and silver. They had found favor in the Egyptians' eyes. They were instructed to gather gold and silver precious metals and jewels. They were told to, you're gonna be eating unleavened bread, which was all the types in here, guys. I'm like, I'm pretty wound, and I might miss some stuff this morning. I'm excited about this message. The types and the shadows in this Old Testament Passover of the foretelling of Jesus are amazing. They were given this instruction, they're gonna be eating unleavened bread for a very practical reason. This was, it wasn't like something super spiritual at the time. It's like, well, don't have any leaven in your bread. Well, you, what is, what is leaven is yeast, and if you've ever made bread, you put yeast in the bread, and then you do one thing, starts with a W, it's four letters long, and it is wait. Well, where the children of Israel were headed on this exodus out of Egypt, they didn't have a lot of time for the waiting. Because you have to cover the bread. You pull a little uh, towel over it or a cloth over it, and then you just let it sit there. And I remember mom making bread as a kid. I'm like, how long does this take? It takes a while for this to happen. So while it's a, there's a spiritual type in this, and Jesus explained the purpose of what the leaven actually means in the New Testament, but at this point, it's just a practical thing. You're not gonna have any leaven. You ain't gonna have any time to use it. It's going to be unleavened bread. 
The Feast of Unleavened Bread most likely was seen as a necessity, not so much symbolic, as le- at least as far as when it was instituted. And then in Exodus chapter 14, we see the Red Sea crossing, which this is a, something that, I mean, we've talked about this a bunch here, but understand that in the course of these few events, number one, the children of Israel take all of the gold in this, or a bunch of the gold and the silver in Egypt. So there's a bunch of financial loss that takes place for the land of Egypt. Understand? You follow me here, church? Then the plague of the firstborn comes. And all across Egypt, all the firstborn are killed. That's a lot. And there's a lot, there's a lot of representation of that, but there's, there's a lot of hope that was just lost. The firstborn, old, young, if you're the firstborn, you're done. That's not, that t- those two things alone took a toll on the nation of Egypt, big time, which in the Old Testament, Egypt represents oppression. Keep, keep this all in your mind here, church. So, but then the, the military might of Egypt, initially Pharaoh's like, everybody leave, you guys go, get out of here, you've destroyed our country. Through the plagues, all, and I didn't even talk about this, all the other plagues, the nation of Egypt was pillaged. At this point in time, there was not much good about the nation of, of Egypt at that point. Does everybody understand? Like flies and locusts and the blood turned to, or the water turned to blood and the, all these nasty things happen. Then they get all of their gold and silver taken. They give it away. The children of Israel all have it now. Then the firstborn dies. Send all these slaves, you gotta go. You're destroying our country. They leave and in a moment of rage, what does the Pharaoh say? I'm going back for them. I'm not going to, they destroyed our lives. We're going back for them. So they take all of the military might. At this point, we have historical reason to believe that Egypt was probably the superpower of the world at that point. They were not a small, nothing country. They were a big deal. And at that moment, they pour all of the force of their military on the children of Israel. Pursue them right across the Red Sea. And what happens next? The sea closes in on them. So they've lost, the beauty of their country has been ravaged. Their, firstborn, their gold and silver's gone, the firstborn die, and their military is completely and utterly destroyed. You say, where's the type in the shadow there? This is a type and a shadow of what Jesus' blood did to the oppressor of oppressors. The magnitude of what Jesus did to the powers of darkness 2,000 years ago makes that look like nothing. Egypt represents oppression. The children of Israel were oppressed. They were enslaved. And when God was done delivering from the nation of oppression, there was nothing left. The oppressors were brought low. Now, there's a spiritual thing. Now, understand that the spiritual, we understand this here, but the spiritual dimension of life is the parent dimension. We're living in the child dimension of the physical. What took place in the spiritual dimension 2,000 years ago between the cross and Easter Sunday is akin to what took place to the nation of Egypt. The similarities, the, the The correlations here are just amazing. 
Now, from this point on, and I got to keep moving because I got a lot of stuff I want to share this morning. Is everybody following along so far? Everybody tracking? Is making sense? Okay. There's a precedent being set that starts out. We're going to get back. You might be thinking, why did we start with John 18? I feel like we should have started in Exodus. I thought that too for a while. But the Lord is like, start in John 18. We're going to come back to it. So there's a precedent being set during this story, a pattern established from this point on, that goes on for about 1,500 years. Largely militant deliverance from oppression. We see Moses, you see Joshua, all the judges. I mean, we could talk about these in depth. But what did they bring about? They brought about a militant deliverance from oppression. So when the Lord delivered his children from oppression, there was always a militant side of it. Okay, Joshua, Saul, David, even Elijah delivered. Now, Elijah wasn't a militant person, but he delivered from a militant power. So there's this precedent being set that goes on for 1,500 years. There's a couple of things I want to tie together here. There's a precedent being set of a militant deliverance, but there's also a precedent being set for a method of righteousness, these two things are not accidental. They are working together. There's, when the children of Israel were in bondage and oppression, it always was a result of, anybody, they always wandered away from the law. They had not kept the law, and then they would end up in bondage, and then there would be a militant deliverance. Now, I got a couple of notes here. I got to find my way through here. Has anybody in here ever seen a, uh, like a seventh grade science project with planets? You know, like the styrofoam balls and like sticks or uh, um, like pipe cleaners for the small ones. And, you, and it looks like, it's like, this is our galaxy or our, like, our planet system. Now, we know, I, I don't know if I did one of those or maybe someone did one for me as a child, but I remember seeing one. And it's cool. It's like there's this planet here and this planet and... But we all know, I mean, as adults here today, we know that that's not the end-all, be-all of the solar system. It's like a tiny little thing, and it's kind of a, it's a like or an as. At the very best, the styrofoam ball is like the sun. It is not the sun. And also, this is another thing, your seventh and eighth grade science projects are like this wide. And like, you know, if you had a real big, like you did the clay volcano thing, and you, that was like maybe you get a little bigger, but it was, this is about this big. You and I all know the solar system that we operate in today is significantly larger than this. There is a lot more going on than the few planets that we see. Does everybody get that? In fact, the further we look into space, the less we understand about it. It's bigger than we ever imagined. It's big, we know it's bigger now than we did five years ago. We can see further, and it's like, oh, heavens, there's a lot more out there. That was a, did anybody catch that? Oh, I didn't know. I was, oh. It's like there is a lot. It just keeps going, and it keeps getting more and more beautiful, more and more intense. There is a lot more going on than what we see in a seventh grade styrofoam ball solar system. In the same way. What the Israelites experienced for 1,500 years for deliverance, church, it was like a seventh grade science project of how God's deliverance worked. 
the basics were there. Oppressor is defeated. The children of God are free. Walk with the Lord. Don't walk with the Lord. Wind up in oppression. God delivers. It's the basics. It's the, you got it. You understand? Does this make sense? It's like you got the sun and the moon and the planets and they're all, and it's like, we got the idea, but it doesn't tell the detailed picture. We don't grasp from a styrofoam ball example of the planets and our solar system. We don't even have a real, I mean, kind of a close grasp of how massive, how amazing, how intricate and how perfect our solar system is. It's just, it's like we got the idea. That's what this precedent is being set. And it's a, it's a, there's a, it's the gist of it. It's like all the little styrofoam balls. Like we see the sun, we see the oppression, we see the deliverer. The deliverer is always the Lord or someone, you know, someone led by the Lord to deliver and then they're free. It's good, it's good. It's a styrofoam ball of what, a styrofoam ball picture of what actually took place 2,000 years ago. It's like, so does everybody get the, the comparison there? What Jesus did spiritually for all humanity is represented by our actual solar system in this metaphor. I just want to explain this because I don't want you guys to miss it. What they experienced, the precedent that was set for 1,500 years that I do believe the disciples were anticipating a similar deliverance, that was like the styrofoam one. Does everybody get that? I feel like I, I'm maybe not getting this clear. That's okay. We're going to keep going. I think you'll get it eventually. i got to find my spot. <clears throat> Just as the militant deliverance of the children of Israel gives us some general ideas and proximity understanding of God's perspective on bondage and oppression, as our actual real solar system is bigger and more magnificent than any of us can begin to fathom, so our natural understanding of God's ultimate plan of deliverance. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is beyond our natural ability to understand. Through Jesus, deliverance becomes eternal. It was no longer a generation being delivered. It was no longer a nation being delivered. Through Jesus, deliverance becomes available to every tribe and every nation. Through deliverance, through Jesus, deliverance becomes available as a free gift. There's no longer strings attached, things for us to do. It is for us to believe. When Jesus' disciples followed him, they were under the impression they were following the one who would deliver them from out from under the rule of the Romans. The one who would bring heaven to earth and establish his kingdom similar to the kingdom of David and Solomon. And much like we tend often to do. They had a limited, they had limited to the, the Messiah to a moment in time. They had limited Jesus to where they were. They were looking for a deliverance similar to what they had experienced and seen for 1,500 years. Much like we are when we receive, we get a word from God, we got a promise from God, we tend to look at it through the lens of what we've experienced in the last however long. But we know now Jesus was not coming just to overthrow another oppressive government off the necks of his people. He was coming to overthrow the oppressor of all oppression for all time. To make salvation the eternal kind available to all who would believe on the name of Jesus Christ, the son of the everlasting God. 
John chapter 18, we see in verse 10, Simon Peter, since he had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. How many of you, maybe you can relate to this, have thrown stones at Peter? What an idiot. Don't you understand what's going on here? It's like, this is way bigger. This is a spiritual thing. Jesus is, he's going to die for all sins of all mankind. Get with the program, Peter. But he had 1,500 years where this is what it looked like. Draw your sword now or forever hold your peace. Let's rise up. Let's roll. We're ready for the deliverance of the nation of Israel from the Romans. It's, it's difficult for us. I want us to take time these next few weeks. It is my prayer that we can get back and we can see this week through the lens of the disciples. What it, more like what it would have been like. We look back and it's easy to judge. It's easy to look back and think, where was your faith? I just, I, it's my prayer that we can get back because there's stuff that we learn through looking back. For approximately 1,500 years, righteousness, right standing with God, had been achieved by keeping or observing the law of Moses. Now, obviously, no one was able to actually keep the law, but between behavior and a herd of sheep and goats, one could sort of maintain. You need a whole herd, though. Some of us would need a whole herd. Now, you, to us, you think 1,500 years, it's like, well, it's kind of a long time. I don't know, maybe it's, you know, still, why didn't they, how couldn't they see that Jesus was coming? You realize for us today, if we were to rewind 1,500 years, it'd take us back to the year 522 A.D. 522. Does anyone here know what all took place in 522? Me neither. But I do know it was less than 100 years after St. Nicholas lived. Whoa. St. Nicholas was not what he is today in 522. It was like 30 years after St. Patrick lived. This is a long, long time that this had been the precedent. It was a supernatural precedent. This wasn't an accident, something someone just like, well, I don't know, I kind of, well, let's dream up this religion. We'll call it Judaism and we'll write a few laws down. And we'll, No, these laws were written by the hand of God in stone given to a man whose face glowed for days and days. This was a spiritual deal. This was established. So for the disciples, at this point in time, when Jesus called them to follow him three and a half years before this Thursday that we're talking about, they were stepping away from organized religion. They were stepping away from righteousness as they knew it. This guy was the son of God. Now, for us on the backside, it's easy to look back. It's easy to say, well, of course he was the son of God. He rose from the dead. Well, he hadn't risen yet. They didn't understand what was going on, and rightfully so. In fact, the waiting for the coming Messiah and the righteousness by way of the law, even though it was always a type and a shadow, it had become a way of life. You see this by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the way that they lived. It had become a way of life. These 12 had walked away from all the establishment religion to follow Jesus. They had an awful lot riding on him being who he said he is. The disciples had, had traded their ever-loving lives to follow Jesus. Were they starting to have doubts? Maybe a form of buyer's remorse? 
Anybody ever bought something, you get it home, and a week later, you're like, I don't know why I bought this. I've almost had it a few times. I've talked myself out of it. Like John the Baptist sent his disciples, he's like, and this is John the Baptist, the one who called Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He sent his disciples, say, is this, are you the Christ or should we look for another? He had some doubts. Almost, we see the disciples in this Thursday afternoon evening, this through the night, maybe a, this is not what I was expecting. I'm not sure how this is going to pan out type of feeling. Thursday, as the day progressed into evening, eventually into the darkness of night, the disciples were facing extreme uncertainty. The evening began with such hope. The salvation of Israel seemed imminent. Understand, this circling back for just a second, Jesus instituted a new covenant on the same day the feast of the Passover had been instituted. And I didn't do a great job of painting this, but the night the feast of the Passover was instituted, like the next week and a half was one of the most earth-shattering week and a halfs in all human history. They were on the eve of the biggest thing that ever took place. The children of Israel got all this gold and silver. The firstborn died. They all lived. They got all their stuff, and they went, and they crossed the Red Sea. The Red Sea caved in on all of the Egyptians. Wow! Now, the disciples understood this. They knew this story. They were familiar with this story. And this is the night they're actually celebrating that event. And Jesus is like, tonight, it's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. And in that moment, it's kind of like you got that anticipation, like, what's the next week going to be like for us then? Because the week after this one was instituted, we ran out, we got out of Egypt, we got a whole bunch of stuff, we crossed the Red Sea, and to them, it's like, maybe the Roman army is going to be drowned. That wouldn't be bad. The Egyptian army was drowned. These thoughts, like, you think, well, you're just speculating. I am. I'm speculating in the story, in the context, in the social and economical, the military, the context of what was going on, the spiritual context of where these guys were at. They were looking. They had been anticipating their whole lives for generations, anticipating the Messiah. And to them, why wouldn't it look like 1,500 years earlier when they came out of Egypt? Why wouldn't it? They didn't have a framework for what Jesus was actually going to do. But at that moment, were they certain? The evening began with such hope. The salvation of Israel seemed imminent. What's the next seven? Get there with me and you're imagining. Like, what's the next seven days going to be like? What does it even look like? Is the Sea of Galilee going to be like the Red Sea? Like, there had to be these thoughts. A brand new covenant had been initiated by the one they had all given up so much in order to follow. But now, that very one, the one they had been certain was their deliverer had been delivered up. And that, without even so much as a struggle, we never even got the militia going, Lord. We was going to do a revolution. We've spent nearly 2,000 years shaming Peter for disavowing even knowing Jesus. 
When in the context of history, and on that particular side of the cross, and I point out that side of the Holy Spirit, I'm fairly certain that we may have been either with Peter in the outer courtyard standing around a fire saying, I don't know him, I don't know who he is, and I don't know what he's doing. Or maybe with the other nine hiding out somewhere else. Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. I want to read this verse. I've marked the wrong part of it. Matthew, can you bring it up? Matthew chapter 26, verse 56. It's a race, Jody. Verse 56 reads, well, let's, let's start, uh, we're going to pick up in verse, let's just read 52 on. But Jesus, this is the same account, or different account of the same story. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? How then could scriptures be, be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me. Verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Last part here, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. That verse doesn't get a lot of, um, a lot of press today. Wound up building the church through these guys, but that night they forsook him and fled. Everything that they had been counting on, everything that they had thought was a certain way was appearing to be different. Like I said, we spent 2,000 years shaming Peter when I'm not sure if I would have even been in the outer gate, outer courts. I might have been with the other nine hiding out somewhere else. You see, this is where we're coming to this morning. Believing, it's not always easy. Hebrews 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders have obtained a good testimony. By faith the elders have obtained a good testimony. Faith is this in-between thing. And we did a whole sermon thing on it a while ago about faith, the in-between, between believing and when we see things. The disciples were not that different than us or every other disciple that has come since. But there, there is a need, just as there was for them that night, to walk by faith. To walk according to something we believe but have not always seen. To operate in the in-between part of believe, believing and seeing, that is what's known as faith. Jesus told his disciples earlier before John chapter 18 and John 16, we'll pick up in verse 25, read through 33. This is part of the discourse that Jesus gave his disciples that night. He said, These things I have spoken to you in a figurative language. The time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in a figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believe that I came forth from God. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Verse 29, his disciples say to him, see, now you're speaking plainly using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth 
also from God. Jesus answered and said, do you now believe? Verse 33, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus did not say that in me you may have the absence of difficulty. Peace is not the absence of difficulty. In me you might have peace, for I have overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples this night that you could have peace. It was possible for them in light of everything that we've talked about. And this morning, is, I just am offering you a perspective. I don't have a list of three takeaways that all start with P for you this morning. But I want you to consider in the days and weeks that are coming, leading up to Easter, I want you to consider the disciples. You're a disciple. If you're here today and you're walking with Jesus, you are a disciple. And the hardest thing we ever do as a disciple we believe something and it's this part in here and then we receive this part is hard to keep believing in Jesus we can have peace he's overcome the world the disciples had access in light of the fact that everything in their entire existence everything that they knew they're social you understand they were they had become social outcasts They weren't somebody that somebody wanted to be around. They had become forsaken. Their leader just got thrown in jail, and he went. He was, we're going to pick up next week, and we're going to look at, the. you guys are all going to be blown away, the title of next week's message is Friday. (laughs) I'm serious. We're going to look at Friday. We're going to look at what took place, the paradigm What they were seeing, the two comparisons of things, what is happening, their minds were being blown. In that moment, as the Messiah, the one that they were thinking, horse, sword, let's roll militia, just got taken without a fight. And they're confused. In that moment, they had the opportunity to have peace. In Jesus, they could have peace. I believe that peace was available to them even Thursday night. In the outer court, I believe that peace was available to them. And I, I dare say, I think John probably experienced a little more of that peace than everybody else. Not because he was better. I think he just chose to believe. You see it. He was the only one that made it to the cross. Only one that made it all the way to the foot of the cross. Everybody else, they scattered. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They had the opportunity Hours before, they could have peace. We have the opportunity to have peace. And we find that peace in believing. Believing is not always easy. That space in between. Choosing to believe God. It's not always easy. That's what it, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. In Acts, that's how Paul explains salvation. Believe. Believe. Why is it so difficult for us? We get, we get wrapped up in needing to see. You know, if we could just see, well, then believing would be easy. And we've talked about, that's not believing. That's seeing. 
Seeing is seeing and believing is believing. I hope you guys will join us again next week. The next couple of weeks, I'm really excited. Next week is kind of, it, it gets a little more intense when we get into what all took place on Friday, what all they experienced. You see, Friday, we really see the rubber hit the road. Thursday night, it's kind of like, ah, I'm really not sure what's going on here. This is very uncomfortable. Let's run. And then Friday, we see it, it grows in intensity. We see the, the lamb of God be sacrificed. See, John the Baptist called out the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. But I don't even think John the Baptist knew exactly how that taking away the sin of the world was going to take place. The Lamb of God was going to suffer the fate of the Lamb of the Passover 1,500 years earlier. He was going to become the sacrificial Lamb. Blood shed on our behalf. I don't want to get into next week. If you would join us and stand this morning, I'd like to close with a declaration. And then worship team, if you would like to play a song, we'll sing, uh, we'll sing our way out of here today. Here at The Rock, we declare that we are believing believers, taking our God at his word, choosing to believe apart from, independent from, seeing. We declare with the Apostle Paul that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power love, and of a sound mind. As disciples in 2022, we realize things may not always go or be as we anticipate. In this world, trouble may abound, but we can cheer up, we can take heart, and we can be of good cheer, for Jesus has overcome the world. We thank you, Jesus, that you are always and only good. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you guide us into all truth. We place a high value on biblical standards and on strong biblical families. We declare the eternal and absolute truth of Scripture and the blessings contained therein, that in Christ Jesus they are yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. We declare with Scripture that the paths of the righteous, they're like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter unto the perfect day, and that though the wicked may flee when no man pursues, the righteous are bold as a lion. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for making us righteous through Jesus' blood. It is by no effort of our own that we come before you. It's called a throne of grace, unmerited, unearned favor. We declare blessing over this body today. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that in the word of God we see foreshadowing foretelling of the coming Messiah. We see Jesus on the move as early as Exodus. Lord, I just thank you so much for Jesus, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.